From a hot-headed gooner to a hot-headed hammer. This is Le Classique, and we're going through numbers 50 to 46 in our list of the 50 greatest French Premier League players. Hello everyone. Hello Baptiste. Hello Tom. How are you on this Easter weekend? Just great, great. Just so happy to be starting this list. So, we obviously had a little episode where we introduced what we were doing here, some of the criteria that we did to develop the list, some of the players that only just yeah. missed out. Uh, just a quick reminder of the criteria. So this is obviously Premier League players only, mm-hmm. so not you know, before the 90s, not championship players. No Yann Camargo. Exactly, no Anthony Nocart, yeah. those lower league legends. And the, the criteria we're going for both kind of performance, so this is the heights that they reach, peak performance, but also consistency over time, but also, and crucially, a kind of more of a cultural impact criteria. So this can be both at a national level, but also within a club, you know, mm-hmm. people that become icons amongst the fan base of that of that yeah. particular team and i think the top of this list is hard to disagree with although there will be debates yeah. but i think it's at the bottom where we have lots of room for subjectivity maybe and where you know a lot of these players could have risen or dropped 10 20 places depending <laughs> on the, the kind of criteria that you you choose to emphasize yeah Abs- absolutely i think uh, in our top 15 we knew who our top 15 were going to be but certainly i think from 31 to 50 we could have moved a lot of these pe- people around i think we're comfortable we're happy where, where they've ended up um but it, it was still it was still a challenge to try and place them because as you said this is where subjectivity is allowed to sort of come in um and they've they've all had a, their impacts are just all so different as we'll see even just from the list of 50 to 46. i'm happy with the list and i'm also happy with the player that we're we're opening with so in at number 50 we have here gilles grimandi Now, the clip we played there was actually a, a bit of a banging goal from Gilles. <laughs> yeah. Incredible kind of volley against Crystal Palace in the 97-98 season. But that wasn't really what he was renowned for at Arsenal. Obviously, a bit of a cult defender, known for his kind of rugged physical approach and his should we say, ability to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Yeah. What was his kind of career like before he joined Arsenal? It, it's funny, he's sort of this relatively anonymous player in, in French Division 1 at the time. He He's uh, spent a couple of years at um, at Monaco, um, who actually, when he leaves Monaco, they've just won the title under Jean Tigena. But he's not, you know, he's not a regular starter. He's, I'm pretty sure no one really batted an eyelid when he left Monaco. And, and no one 
was wowed by the fact that Arsenal had signed Jude Grimondi. There was a bit of a collective sense of, okay. Who, right? Yeah. Who, a bit like Arsene Who, and he was sort of the six. They both mm. kind of had Monaco connections, yeah, didn't they? But I like the fact that he, obviously he becomes a bit of, a, of an icon and he, he maybe symbolizes a, a side of French players that people knew less of at the time, yeah. you know? So quite a, quite hard, uh, willing to bend the rules to get, and and that at a time I think is something that would endear you to crowds. And I think not the most talented player necessarily, no. but certainly scores high for cultural impact. At, Absolutely, at and, and we've talked about how the first pl- French players that arrive are, you know, they are stars, right? They, I mean, fine, Eric Cantona is cast out of France, but. You know, still a famous player in France, French international. Obviously, Ginola, Leboeuf, they're French internationals. They're very famous faces in French football. And even at Arsenal, when you see Emmanuel Petit arrive, he's he was an international. Vieira less so, but still young talent who'd been able to go to AC Milan, so was obviously on a lot of people's radars. Grimaudi sort of fits in the Remy Gard mold of this sort of utility player who will just come in, play his role, accept it not ask for more and i think the reason why he also became a bit of a cult figure is he definitely got stuck in in any game he played played across you know across the back four played a holding mid and kind of had that sort of everyday man look to him that i think people kind of people kind of like players they see on a pitch who sort of look like them look like fans really <laughs> and uh, and w- when we when we looked up Grimaldi I was surprised that he joined Arsenal who was still only 27 I have a memory of him looking like a middle-aged car salesman <laughs> <laughs> well, so he fitted in perfectly into that kind of that I mean that Arsenal back four is full of you know Lee Dixon Martin K- Nigel Winterburn really look like kind of some average Joes and it's true nowadays all all young players have incredibly like toned physiques everyone yeah. looks like a like a like a gym bunny whereas that wasn't necessarily the case <laughs> this is this is kind of the dying age of that type of kind of average joe looking footballer and this i mean they are it, it, obviously there's some quite good highlights of Gilles Grimont, you know? there's a game against barcelona i think yeah. where he does a kind of shithousery job on pep guardiola yeah, of all people <laughs> he gets sent off for elbowing pep on the floor <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sure he picked up many red cards in his time at at Arsenal there's obviously the I mean we thought about opening with the iconic clip of whose testimonial was it? Uh, Dennis Burkamp Dennis Burkamp yeah, yeah. yeah. Dennis the problem it was in Dutch so it would have been a little bit confusing but I mean how would you describe the scene Edgar Davids has dribbled the keeper he's going through yeah. and then Shilik Grimondi just comes and just clatters <laughs> it <laughs> and then also claims it's a corner <laughs> then just points very seriously and, and he just sort of gets up and, uh, and just has this cheeky smile because there's obviously a you know, an exhibition game, but he just sort of gets up, has tackled Edgar Davids, who's probably one of the most competitive footballers around, even in like 2006 or 2007, or whatever that was. And he just has this wry smile of, yeah, this was total shithousery, but that was fun, kind of. I think that's why, I think that's why fans warm to him. And, you know, we, we're having a bit, we're not having a laugh at his expense. Um, we, we're just laughing at the fact that he did look like a bit of a journeyman. And I think, in a way, couldn't believe his own luck at being um, a player for Arsenal, but actually did play, you know, did play an important role. He played over, you know, over 100 games in five seasons in the league. That's not negligible for a side that was very successful. You know, filled in, he was basically the first 
player to be called upon when there was an injury anywhere in a defensive role and that you know there's clearly value to having a player of that of that quality um it's just we don't you know he we remember him as sort of this anonymous utility man but actually i'm sure if you ask wenger he would have said grimaldi was probably always on time at training you know very professional just accepted his ro- his role accepted whatever position he was put in and just play to the best of his abilities. And a bit of an icon amongst Arsenal fans, so I'm happy that he's managed to sneak into <laughs> our top 50. What I like also is the kind of, the difference we have here in abilities probably <laughs> with the next player on our list. And this is this is someone that I lobbied quite hard to, yeah, to get very, in here. Very and he, much so. Uh, <laughs> in at number 49, we have the mercurial Hatem Benarfa. For Benarfa. He's away from Ricketts. Now then, Cissé wants it played through now, and Ben Arfa delays it. Ben Arfa all the way! What a goal! That's a Ben Arfa! A magnificent goal! Lionel Messi would have been proud of that one! I mean, what a goal that was. That was, I think, for that goal alone, <laughs> he deserved entry into our top 50. Um, obviously, Gilles Kimondi arrives in France as a bit of a an unknown mm. uh, as a kind of solid Ligue 1 player. Uh, ben is kind of the opposite, right? Mm. He had been, and we've talked about him a little bit in our episodes on unfulfilled talents, but he was he was on everyone's radar from a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as we've mentioned before, you know, under 17 European champion, one of the leaders of that wonderful team, seen as the surefire future international out of that group, which is saying something considering it had, you know, Menez, Nazri, Benzema, but everybody had identified him as the undoubted leader of that generation and somebody who'd wear France's number seven or number 10 for a number of years. He he arrives in the UK in a way similar to, again, I feel like I'm always going back to Cotonou, but it, I feel it's a similar sort of position he's in. He's sort of burnt, burnt his bridges in France. He starts at Lyon in a really super loaded squad. So walks in and is like, I'm obviously the best player here. Why Why do I need to overly respect Juninho and players like Michael Essien and, <laughs> and people at Lyon? And, and Lyon was a winning machine. Yeah, yeah, and they were yeah. like, no, you have to be accepted by the dressing room first. And after four years, even though he's still only, you know, 20, he's like, all right, enough of this. I'm off. I need to go. I need to be fulfill my potential. You people have been making promises to me, and they just never kept. I'm never being given a run in the side. Blah blah blah. Goes to Marseille under Eric Guerret, uh, who's a fiery Belgian coach who totally got Marseille at the time and was beloved by fans. It sort sort of works out, but the club itself doesn't really go anywhere. Guerret is sacked, and this is as we've mentioned before. For me, that's the turning point. He. Garrett's successor is Didier Deschamps. And if there's somebody who's very pragmatic but doesn't hold any grudges in footballing terms, and I'm saying footballing terms because of the whole Benzema affair, which has nothing to do with football, you know, if it doesn't work with Deschamps, for me, it's just never going to work, really. But he's just so petulant at Marseille. He's just... He's not... You never hear... You know, you hear stories of him getting in tussles at you know, training with other players, but that happens at every every club. And you don't hear too many, you don't really hear stories of him being unprofessional. 
but his body language in certain games, you know, there's he, ha- he clearly voices disagreements with Deschamps, who has this legitimacy to him. You know, there's episodes where he's being asked to come off the bench, and you can tell he really doesn't want to do it. I think there's I think there's a game where Deschamps like asks him to warm up, and he's like, oh god, and then Deschamps like, all right, enough, go sit back down. You're not worth you're not worth my time. So by the time by the time he goes to Newcastle, originally on loan. People think he's a busted flash a little bit. In France, it's sort of get him out of here. We've we've had enough. Is this yeah. whole promise with terrible attitude? I think you're maybe giving Deschamps a little bit too much credit in the sense that I mean, not that he's suspicious of flair players, and I agree that he's you know, but there's certain things that he values I think mm. above others, right? And those include dedication, hard yeah. work, rather than kind of kind of mercurial talent, which which at Benafa mm. clearly had and all the things that you've described I think would ha- would happen later on at Newcastle and then at Hull which is a complete disaster <laughs> and obviously the reason he's in this list here is that kind of o- really the opening six months and, and the moments that they kind of provide so the goals against Bolton um, the kind of the Macy dribbles probably one of the best one-on-one players that people have ever seen on Tyneside and they've seen a lot of phenomenal S- since, dribblers since Ginora since Gin- since Ginola, exactly. Um, and Aspria, let's not forget Tino. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, I, I, I know that you were you were wondering whether we should have him in here, given how short his impact was. But I feel, given the hi- the highlights reel, the moments he created, even though it was over a very small period of time, that he deserves to kind of sneak in here under the the, the cultural. Mm. cultural impact on times I still think that if you were to talk about you know to people about recent French players that they remember yeah. I think this guy would uh, be higher than s- loads of players in this list and maybe even some that we've got in our top 10 mm. so for that reason alone I think he deserves to sneak in here. And, and I think you know you obviously insisted upon having him because you just love Mercurial number 10 <laughs> <laughs> and Maisie Dribblers but it's true looking back you know he does he does go to newcastle he spends sort of three and a half years there the first six months on loan and then three full seasons and he i'd say at least his first 18 months are really successful there to the point that it brings him back into the france squad which is you know and takes him to the euros so he's obviously in great form i think he he'd fi- he'd found the right environment i mean i think (laughs) under (laughs) yeah no but in the sense that expectations right particularly high for the club right and some sort of quite laissez-faire coaching yeah i mean his coach i think it was pardew wasn't it pardew does like attacking players does like to give freedom to certain players who he deems as bringing an extra little something you know for all parts is false you know he he does like to his teams to be on the front foot We'll give it, certainly at the time, and you know I think Artem walked into a side where he was clearly the best player technically. Players were going to look for him to create the difference, without having, you know, the sort of um, break that Deschamps would have applied on him. Which, you know, he wasn't playing for like a Mourinho figure of, you know, yes you can create, but let's remember you need to track back first. I think at Newcastle it was go work your magic 
some people some we have some water carriers here they'll do they'll do the job for you i think i think that's right and the, 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 he's such a good fit cultural fit for that club right i'm trying to th- think of any other teams where he could have been better you know you see it now with people like Saint Maxima you know uh, mercurial dribbles tend to be loved and appreciated at, at Newcastle even when they don't do the other stuff and even when it, that maybe stops them from being quite the world-class players that their talent allows them to so sometimes it, it's interesting we've got some great players in here but that never sometimes the club and the player fit so brilliantly and I think this is an example of of that Absolutely, and I think with with Ben Arfa, he's got an expiration date to him, just to his personality, to his style of play. That doesn't matter which club he would have played at. I think I, right, that's what even, I was going to ask yeah, you. Even would if you think this was well, the maximum, the eighteen month yeah, I golden think even, period. Even if it goes really well, there's just this is what it looks like. Yeah, this is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and he just got to play with the freedom that he'd always wanted, and that's maybe what. You know, you look at his career, uh, he does stay three and a half years there. It's a good amount of time. Um, and I think he, he did enjoy it. And I, okay, towards the end, there was a bit too much of there's no tracking back. And he played. But that's always fine. But I guess there was less of the yeah, golden and, moments. And the problem with Ben Arfa is he would have those moment of magic, moments of magic where his individuality would shine through. So this Bolton goal you know, he just takes the game by the scruff of its neck and it's, it just picks up the ball. It never looks for the pass, <laughs> you know, works that magic, which if you do that on a semi-regular basis, players and managers are going to be amenable to it. But if you don't produce regularly enough, as I said, it has an expiration date. And I think that's what it was a little bit with Ben Alpha. And obviously changes that happen over time right you have changes of managers changes of players changes of personnel expectations etc um but he was not never it's funny because i think he'd be fondly remembered at newcastle but he was never seen as a leader either i think that's probably why it also worked well because at lyon and at marseille he was seen as this guy who's going to walk into the dressing room and and lead in a certain way i'm not saying you know the mark noble way of shouting at people and yeah, like getting get on the ball position. on the time and being yeah but, exactly the but the bravery on the ball right yeah. and I and some players you know you look at Bruno Fernandes at sure yeah uh, always Man demanding United, it and, yeah. we're going to have to pass the ball to you because there's not much else right and he didn't really have that at Newcastle you know there was there was a lot of look for Atem when you can because hopefully he'll work something but there was never this constant pressure of you're our number 10. You're the only person who can unlock things because they had all the decent players at the time. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? It's just a question of expectation. You know, Newcastle is a huge club, but it's slightly different to Marseille and mm. Lyon where you're expected to fight for titles. Yeah. Right? And you will be, I think you will be adored on Tyneside for being able to, to create certain memories, which I think he certainly did. So he's in there at number 49. <laughs> At 48, we've also got a Newcastle player of a very different mould, and it's Alain Goma. <laughs> you know, I was impressed, you know, when I came down uh, from Newcastle, you know, the confidence, you know, mm. in the team. And also, you know, the, the passing football, you know. Mm. Everyone, you know, there was, when someone had the, had the ball, there were, you know, many options. So we struggled a little bit to get a, a clip for old... <laughs> Alain. I think he's sort of really different, though, to to Aten, and yeah. um, 
so, so obviously a career that goes from Newcastle to Fulham, mm-hmm. and in both those cases he is a, a starter for them in centre back. Yeah, very uh, professional, clear, good in the air, strong. Like one of the you know good French centre backs that mm. was never quite in the French team, but there and thereabouts. Yeah, a very reputable centre-back in, in Ligue 1. Um, played for Auxerre under Giroud in the, in the sort of early to mi- uh, you know, late 90s. Um, very successful side in France. They win the cup twice. They, win the, they do the double in 96. And, and they play good, attractive football. And I think he was, he was this sort of r- decent ball-playing centre-back who wasn't afraid of a, of a tackle or a battle. And he, you know, he actually earns two caps for France uh, between '96 and '98, which wasn't a gl- glorious period. Everybody thinks now it was because it, le- you know, people now think, oh well, before '98, if you were picked in the sides, considering they won the World Cup, you must have been amazing players. Uh, no, not really. I think it was much more difficult between '98 mm-hmm. and 2002, for example. But still, a very somebody who has a, v- a very good reputation in France. Um, rarely injured you know very consistent uh doesn't make a lot of mistakes and you know to be fair he's he joins psg and before he goes to newcastle right so he goes to psg for that 98 99 season uh, which doesn't go particularly well for psg and doesn't go well for goma but you know he still has i i remember when he joined newcastle you know um my my father was like, oh, that is a good signing. Mm-hmm. He was my dad was like, oh, Alain Goma, yeah, very solid. That makes a lot of sense. I so I've had some encounters with him actually. Both in I remember in, when I was in Paris, often the 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 youth teams you would sometimes go. They would organize sessions not with Piaget, but they get a Piaget player around. Mm. And I remember it was Alain Goma. All right, who was who was there and being very kind of positive reinforcement on the side and <laughs> shooting exercises and obviously he I think he's made his life in London so his sons play for for duet which is the team I coach for team of the French community right. in London so shout down shout out to, to them and shout out to duet but I think generally like a kind of model pro yeah. wherever he wherever he went uh, well appreciated by the fans of the team and I think deserves it for the consistency of performances he put in uh, for Newcastle and Fulham particularly the first couple of years he was under that Tigana side mm. that I think it's the reputation for playing attractive football when really actually the, particularly in the Premier League they were uh, they based their success on kind of a defensive solidity with Van der Sar with Alan Goma with Andy Melville <laughs> oh god <laughs> Andy Mel- Rufus Brevet Steve Finn and Dunner right <laughs> no, abs- yeah absolutely he's he helps stabilize Fulham in the Premier League uh, and he is actually I think their club record signing before they get to the um, before they get to the Premier League I think before Van der Sar mm-hmm. but they do spend 4 million on him so he comes in I think he's 29 28, 29 you know peak of his powers in theory and certainly out of all the defenders we had at the time certainly the centre-backs he was by far the best of them and a, a good, solid, regular, regularly consistent centre-back in the Premier League who played his part in making Fulham a well-established Premier League side. And for that reason, he's here at number 48. Yeah, 48 yeah. <laughs> Should we move on? Yeah. 
At number 47, we have Antoine Sibierski. This is Valencia. Hasn't done the damage that Wigan were hoping for. In by Kuma. Sibierski on the turn. Good goal. Good goal. That gives Wigan something to bite on. Antoine Sibierski. Now, Antoine Sibierski, we had sort of forgotten him a little bit when we... He's not the name that actually comes back or comes up automatically when you think about French players in, in the UK, but he's actually had a really quite long and successful career here in the UK, punctuated by some moments of real skill, amazing yeah. goal, like this goal here against uh, against Chelsea, but it, but he's played uh, to Newcastle, obviously, where he's had success. Man City are probably the two clubs where he's known for, and obviously Wigan, I guess those are kind of the yeah. three in in the Premier League. But he's had a fairly kind of long, successful career in, in the UK. And uh, unsurprising in a way, because in France he is... He's a goal-scoring number 10. Not in the, you know, not a number 10 in the sense of he'll necessarily deliver a glorious through ball, but maybe maybe more in a Frank Lampard, Lampard mold, sort of late runs into the box, you know, would score between 8 to 12 goals a season for, for, very, mm-hmm. you know, for good good to very good league clubs, you know, played, played for Auxerre, Nantes, Lens, those are very strong uh, league insiders at the time. And he always seemed to be on the cusp of the front squad i think certainly late 90s early 2000s you know just that just that tier just below sure yeah just, yeah you would have never really considered him to get five or ten caps but he would have run of forms in Liga, which would make people say we're stocked at that position but actually on merit a lot of sides would be very happy to have him do they, do they have a B team in France? I remember the England used to have a kind of B team, that <laughs> would, and it was an odd kind of combination of players. I wonder if there was yeah, something th- similar. It's such an odd concept. Yeah, I think they do. But Sibierski would be a kind of candidate for that kind yeah, of side. Yeah, and again, you know, again, very consistent. Rarely got injured. Um, worked his arse off. Well, he uh, he's played close to two hundred games, right, in the Premier League. Maybe a little bit less. Yeah, but certainly, it's an it's quite an impressive. Kind of array of p- performances that he that he's put in over a relatively long period of time, right? From kind of what is it, two thousand and three to to almost the twenty tens, right? Two thousand and nine yeah. with Wigan, and he he you know he plays again. He plays an important role at Man City. He stays there three seasons, starts a lot of games. You know, two thousand and three Man City wouldn't have been a certainly not the Man City of now, but that would have been the Keegan Man City. That was quite a ball-playing side, rel- relatively comfortable in, in mid-table, but still, you know, they'd have probably, every year they'd have a sort of six to seven game losing run, yeah. which would drag them into <laughs> into the relegation battle. And he, you know, he played he played a good number of games. Um, didn't, didn't score too many goals, actually, which I was a bit surprised about, because he was quite, a, you know, he was good technically, very good in the air. Yes. Loved loved the tussle, loved the challenge. Uh maybe I don't know, maybe he was playing a bit more withdrawn at um at Man City, but again, a very dependable player to count to count upon. I wonder obviously with Man City you think of uh, when they were taken over um, 
certain players ended up becoming uh, key members of that squad that went on t- to win a lot of things, right, that weren't necessarily considered um, players that necessarily had that standard, right? I'm thinking of Zabaleta. Company, to a lesser extent, I know that yeah. he was very highly rated. In, in, but you know what I mean? These were players that were already there that became the fulcrum of the team. Do you think, obviously, Sibieski is a bit before... But do you think <laughs> could you played a role? Would he, <laughs> had they bought the had they bought the club a little bit earlier, or do you, or do you think he was slightly below that tier of? I think he was um, slightly below that tier. He looked a bit like a big David Silver <laughs> with his shaved head. I think he was slightly below that tier, especially at that time. For me, Sibieski, he's the kind of French player who left France too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would have quite liked because he joins Man City. He's twenty nine. I think he joins on a free from Lens. And in a way, I would have quite liked to see him join in so two thousand when he was at when he was at Nantes, and he was he was a very valued player then. I j- I just wonder whether he would have maybe had, I don't know whether he had opportunities, but I would have liked to think that he would have had some opportunities of playing a role for slightly better sides mm-hmm. and maybe a more important role. I think when he joined at twenty nine, he was. Not a, a consolation prize. I think they were very happy to have him, but you know, they didn't decide to build the team around him. Sure, my feeling with with, with Sibiaski is is always in the same way that Giroud for elite sides say they always think, oh, he's a good guy to have in the squad, and yet he always kind of imposes himself yeah. as as the key striker just because he's so useful for the team. I always had the same feeling with Sibiaski to a certain extent. Yeah, like he wasn't so flashy, and and people thought, ah. Oh, Oh, that's you know, it's interesting to have him in our squad. But yeah, he would always somehow be end up being mm. one of the attacking players that would contribute the most, I think, because of his potentially diversity of skill sets, right? So as you say, good in good in the air, kind of could could withdraw and link up with midfield and yeah. just seem to be like a really good again, this is he's more in our kind of model pro category yes, absolutely. performance over the long term rather than necessarily um a kind of cult hero someone who had set you know multiple memorable moments yeah not things. not exactly a player who you know get you on the edge of your seat yeah let's, let's be fair but as i said very dependable good pro you need you need players like that in your squad and you know he then goes to newcastle he has a season where he scores i think scores about eight goals over the season in the premier league which is a decent return for a newcastle side that wasn't wasn't great and I think at all all three clubs, even though his impact at Wigan was was less than he probably wanted, although he was getting on by then, you know, 33-34. I think at all his clubs, they probably have a fond memory of Sibiaski. You know, you could picture him walking in, saying hello to everyone, being very polite, you know, be, being there on time, uh, getting involved in, you know, local local initiatives. Yeah, I don't know, he just... Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm completely. Maybe I'm completely making that up. But you always got the sense that this is a real pro and a guy who, who will accept his role provided you involve him. And he was involved. It was never a tr- never a trouble for anyone. And I think he just enjoyed his time. Frankly, the the the, the commentary for the goal isn't it? It's quite understated. It goes good, good goal, right? <laughs> Which I kind of fits for yeah. Sibieski. You know, just good player. Right? That's yeah, kind of what you'd say about him. Good as player. I said, he's not going to get anyone overly excited, but I think if you were a Man City fan at the time, you were happy to have him in your side. Same yeah. for Newcastle. And that's 
That's good value from a French signing over several seasons. Yeah, good player, Sibierski. <laughs> In at 46, we have a final one for today. It's Sébastien Schimmel. To West Ham was fantastic, to be honest. It was uh, the best moment to my, car to my, to my football career because it was so amazing to play for this fan, for this, uh, for this club. It was fantastic. And uh, it was a big mistake for me to leave the club because I'm sure if, if I stay to West Ham 2003, 2004, I'm sure I finish my career to West Ham. So, but he was very, I was very pleased to play for this club. It's my club. I have a tattoo from West Ham. I'm a tattoo from West Ham United. So for me, it's a, it's a big honor to, to have this in my arms. Now, we opened this episode with an iconic player for Arsenal in, in Gilles Grimondi. But I think even more so oh, yeah. at West Ham is uh, Sébastien Chemel, who I think we can t describe as a... Uh, sort of hot-headed fullback, I suppose. Yeah, marauding. Was he, was he marauding? Was I he feel like he was marauding, yeah. but I'm, <laughs> I'm not even sure. I just I just remember him being quite all action. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's one of these players who has, uh, that seems to be the case for West Ham French players that come for a short period of time and, and, and nail it for a vote. They have a peak performance with very strong. But he arrives in West Ham in 2000 and, is it 2002? 2001. 2001. And he ends up at the end of that season, he is the hammer of the year. So fans' choice for play of the year. Uh, before that in France, he, he, he had had some disciplinary problems. No? <laughs> it's, it's funny because he's just a, a completely nondescript player in, in France. I, don't, I remember when he signed, when I saw him play for West Ham, and they, you know, they were mentioning him. And you know, at some point, obviously, his nationality came up. And I remember just going, what? He's French. Where has he come from? Who is he? <laughs> you know, sort of completely out of the blue. But actually, you know, he played in the East, basically. He played for Nancy and Metz. Metz, a good club at the time. Uh, had nearly won the title a couple of years before. Had players like Pires, um, Bruno Rodriguez played at the club. But he, he ends up at West Ham because a month before his transfer, initially on loan, um, he gets into an altercation with some journalists. Which I would imagine are probably local journalists rather than national ones. But the mess president, I think, calls him phenomenally unstable, <laughs> which I think is a <laughs> is a wonderful phrase. And he ends up, he's one of those Ari Redknapp willing and dealing. Sure, kind of side. Uh, yeah. Early 2000s, Ari Redknapp willing and dealing being... What, what was the name of the Dutch striker? Marco Bugas. Was it Marco Bugas? The guy who ended up in his caravan like six months after leaving West Ham. It was terrible. <laughs> so a, ma a massive punt. Basically. Okay, yeah. I read that punt. But this one was a phenomenal success. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's become, obviously in this interview that he, that he does and that we've quoted, he sort of shows his love for West Ham, right? He's got a tattoo there. Mm. You had mentioned that he's got a bar somewhere yeah, named Upton a, Park. He's got a few rest. He owns a few restaurants and he's opened one in Luxembourg called Upton Park. And completely just embraced the club and the culture. And I think in terms of a bit like, I'm trying to think actually, but maybe on this list, he's, he is the player who has most kind of embraced this team, right? Where this yeah. team was the, clearly the peak of his own career and he's sort of aware of that and so uh, grateful of the, the, the opportunity. And certainly for cultural impact at a single club 
at a very yeah. kind of sh- uh, single pointed uh, point in time, he he certainly uh, scores highly. Uh, yeah, totally. And it's funny because his <laughs> his cultural impact at the club is so disproportionate to his footballing <laughs> contribution. So obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, obviously he has his first full season there where he's named Hammer of the Year, which is you know a great achievement, especially early two thousands where you know foreign players could could often be seen as mercenaries not really you know giving their all not being really invested he was a polar opposite of that he just absolutely embraced it loved it and so did the fans but ultimately he placed you know two and a half seasons at at west ham and by all accounts his his second full season is terrible he's just lost his magical powers because he's <laughs> sure. he's got his hair because he had free flowing locks and then and he cut them it's always a mistake pretty yeah uh Gino, did Gino ever cut? Well, no, he always had it long when he yeah. played, I suppose. But he's, yeah, his impact is just so much bigger. Torres. Than, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. He definitely lost his powers. But his impact at the club is so much bigger than what he actually contributed because he, he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there for very long. And unlike another West Ham player we'll look at later, he was never destined for bigger things. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sure, yeah. this was always going to be the peak, and he—I like the fact that he's so aware of that, uh, and that that he he himself has an appreciation for for the for the club in a way that say someone like Sebastian Aller doesn't. Right? It's always da- you're always aware when your team is being treated as a stepping stone, and that was never, I think, the case for yeah. for for Schimmel. Any final words on Sebastian? Well, we're not going to talk about his time at Pompey because <laughs> that was horrendous but i've always had i've always loved players that are who just come out of nowhere even in even, as i said even in france no nobody really knew who sebastian chemet was he was just a solid to average league player um but he he came he came over absolutely embraced it was idolized in a way that he would have never been at any club in France considering his level and just just had a had a party for two years basically and I think that's I think that's also partly why we're doing this list is for players like that who didn't show off their skill but showed off their understanding of the football culture of the local football culture and I think in our in all in our fifty players, there aren't many players who, on that front, understood it better than Sebastian Schemel. Completely, and that's why I'm quite happy actually to end with him on 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 this particular episode. Right, we're going to yeah. go five by five, so about yes. episodes of thirty minutes in. But that's been sort of fifty to forty six. Uh, Gilles Grimondi, Ben Arfa, Alain Goma, Antoine Sibierski, and we've ended with the uh, legendary Sebastian Schemel. So thanks a lot, Bapo. Thank you, Top. And I'll see you next time. Bye.